to this week's edition of Data Unchained, a podcast about making your data available as a global resource when and where you need it. This week, I'm super excited to be joined by an interesting leader in not just the technology community, but also in the visual effects and animation community. Um, Hailing from over in London, we have Jeremy Smith, the CTO of Jellyfish Pictures. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Molly. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's kind of fun to get to talk to you live instead of over a Teams chat. So this is a nice opportunity to connect. Um, Tell me just a little bit in our audience, a little bit about yourself professionally, personally. Give us a little color to who Jeremy is. My name is Jeremy. I've been uh, working in the media space for many, many years. Um, I've I've moved to the UK um, probably about 15 years ago and just have worked for Jellyfish Pictures on a range of, of different projects. And about me personally, um, yeah, no, I've always been interested in technology and cameras, you know, very, very from a young age. And so I'm in the unique position where I can kind of get to combine the two worlds. So I I feel very privileged. I found it interesting. You and I have talked many times for many reasons, but whenever we talk and you talk about kind of the merging of HPC technologies and visual effects, that's really interesting background. You know, we think of visual effects as mostly being artists and creative types and supercomputing is such hard science, but you have great experience in both. What a lot of people don't realize about this industry is that there is like a lot of massive amounts of compute um, that are required. And there is a lot of similarities between this industry and and HPC. So when it comes to basically kind of like doing uh, what we call a bunch of CGI rendering or simulation or any sort of like stuff like that, there is um, a huge amount of similarity between working on a solution to battle COVID or, or, you know, or for figuring out a vaccines or weather forecasting. So um, both different areas just require a, a huge amount of compute, especially in the in the media entertainment space where the quality bar is getting higher and higher. The, the amount of resources keeps increasing. So there's definitely like a lot of crossover and a lot of similar, similarities. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of interesting that I've seen, you know, the compute and rendering jobs of a VFX environment hit, you know, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of cores when you really need to get work done. And you know, like you say, it's kind of classic HPC type of work. Uh, a while ago, I think we, we bursted or peaked for about 90,000 cores, you know, for, for the rendering for basically uh, a feature animation that we did. And so, it, you know, that wasn't even ultra HD at the time. So um, I, again, as the, as the quality demands gets higher and higher, we are seeing like a lot more reason for, for HPC or, or high compute workloads in this industry. So tell us a little bit about Jellyfish Pictures. Yeah, Jellyfish Pictures has been around, um, you know, since the early 2000s. And Jellyfish specializes in animation and visual effects. So we do everything from like looking and, you know, creating the artistic storyboards all the way up to basically final frame delivering out of compositing. So we also do things like animation, compositing, um, things like character rigging, all the way through the entire workflow processing and creating content. And we've, you know, over the years, we've had the privilege of working for quite a few different projects. Um, some of them small, some of them big, some of the bigger ones are things like Star Wars, Rogue One, a lot of this, you know, content you see on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and we've also, uh, we've, you know, the feature animation I was talking about was for DreamWorks Animation. 
and you know a lot of uh, live action stuff for Netflix, and we're actually just finishing up um, Stranger Things four. So we've had the the privilege of working on quite a quite a few different projects over the years. That's pretty cool. You know, Jellyfish Pictures may not be a household name, but certainly the content you're working on is. And it's kind of fun to get to see behind the scenes how they produce all that content. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of work that goes on behind the curtain to, to, you know, to make these shows. Um, But, you know, we're just we're just happy to be a part of it. So your company has been growing really quickly over the last, what, five, 10 years, um, adding lots of artists, adding lots of capabilities to handle the demand from these feature films. Um, Can you talk just a little bit about what that growth trajectory has looked like and maybe some of the challenges that you've bumped into in like filling the growth demands? The growth demands is also being led by uh, the demand for like content and, you know, and television. When I started in this industry um, quite a while ago, there was, there were no streaming services. It was, everything was based on linear TV and so that's hard to imagine nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard to remember that world. It wasn't that long ago. But say, for example, I mean, if a show was on, like, say, Thursday night at seven o'clock, and if you're 15 minutes late, um, basically, there was no way you can't just go back and, and watch that again. If you see what I mean, you have to record it or, or wait for it to air again. But now, you know, there's been a lot of streaming um, services, you know, coming on the market. So I think it was just this week or last week, Paramount Plus is actually officially launched in the UK. Uh, you know, Netflix have kind of changed the game as to basically how and where people consume content. So, you know, instead of basically having to like watch it on TV or a certain thing, you could watch it from any smart device, really. So I think I think the demand for high quality content has skyrocketed. And plus, you still have your your standard, you know, let's call them distribution channels of like traditional broadcast for content on there. So there is a lot of um, there's a lot of new shows being being commissioned and all the rest of it, it is really exciting. So I think we're also seeing, you know, that on top of everything else. And with that, that's, that's helping fuel the, the growth in, in this, in this industry. What kind of challenges have you bumped into? If they've been mostly, um, you know, technology, is it finding humans to do the work? Where do you find that growing and when all this demand is surging has been the most biggest challenge? I think there's been several challenges over the years. One um, was was related to, to technology and just making sure that as we scale, that we can basically kind of go and, and you know, scale out with it. Um, the other is basically just making sure that we have access to the right talent of people, um, you know, regardless of where they're based and, you know, just making sure that people have a good, um, you know, work, life, work, quality of lifestyle. Um, and I think... It, yeah, so those are the those are the two biggest challenges, but you know we recently see like technology becoming um, an enabler rather than a barrier. So that's that's actually really really exciting to see, and the way that things were done like say ten, fifteen, or even five years ago is has you know is completely transformed, and a lot of that is basically you know from a technology perspective based on cloud based technology. So as I was saying earlier, like like cloud or cloud distribution like the Netflix, the Paramount, the Amazon Primes and sort of stuff like that. It's really kind of changed the way people consume content, but we're also we're now seeing a change on how cloud-based technologies are actually fundamentally changing the way that content is, is created as well. So I, I think that's that's really, really exciting. So you use cloud, of course, for 
providing the content to all of us. But can you talk a little bit more about the types of technologies you use, whether it's from, you know, I know you use some cloud rendering, but maybe talk a little bit about the cloud technologies that you've taken advantage of. Eight or nine years ago, we kind of wanted to really take a look at uh, cloud-based solutions that would kind of help us from a staffing perspective or just helping us make sure that we're not making the right decisions from a, from a, like say, leasing bu- buildings and offices perspective. So quite a while ago, we started partnering with a company called, uh, a well-known company now called Teradici. So for everyone watching this podcast, I'm sure that is a household name now, especially after the after the pandemic. And Teradici or PC over IP the, um, is essentially a pixel streaming services that, that allows you to stream the contents of a high-performance workstation to almost um, anywhere. The real bottleneck is, is actually really down to things like you know, just network provisioning. So we've see, so we started using that about several years ago, like you know, nine years ago is what I was saying. And the one of the main reasons for that is because basically, based in central London, it's actually very very hard to actually find a physical premises at the time where you could actually house all of your team under one pe- you know, under one house. And so we, you know, took a look, we basically set up an, another physical office for, um, you know, the, the, let's call them the overspill staff that we needed because, you know, because our main office wasn't big enough, but yet, you know, we didn't want to provision more servers, more switches and more backups, more UPSs and all that sort of stuff. And so we, we really kind of put our heads together because we want to work, you know, smarter and not harder. And Teradici was a very, very key part of that. Um, you know, everyone is a lot of people in this industry are now are now using them and it's kind of opened the doors to basically kind of what is now possible compared to even a few years what wasn't so you were solving the remote workforce challenge and in a lot of ways even before COVID, this was something you were needing to tackle before the mass move to remote workers absolutely COVID has basically just been a massive accelerant um for this line of thinking and even for the even for the maturity of the of different products themselves. Someone um, quoted a while ago, say that we, we've seen about 10 years of development into these sort of technologies over the past 24 months. So there's been a massive, massive, um, you know, investment in uptake into, the, in, into these technologies. So, yes. So you were in the M&E industry, they call it virtual studios, um, kind of the idea of being able to work remotely from your studio environment, whether that's in London, Hollywood, wherever it might be. Um, where what gaps did you see in that first deployment of virtual studios that still made things difficult or cumbersome to really accomplish that vision of really enabling remote workers and remote cloud services? We turned back the clock um, several years. The, the 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 connectivity was an issue because bandwidth base wasn't as widely as available as what it is now. Even in some other areas, it's still not as accessible as what I would like to see it. However, everybody doesn't have five, five G. No, 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 that, that, that's right. That's right. But basically, but it, it, but it has improved and more importantly, the cost is actually falling through the floor for, for that sort of connectivity. The other one is that, you know, commodity hardware wasn't quite fast enough to actually to kind of keep up with, with certain tasks. So say, for example, in some stars, you had to have custom silicon from the manufacturers, and that basically had a limitation on where you could deploy it, where you could rack it, where you could stack it, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, fast forward the clock to today, you know, if you take a look at the average processes from Intel, AMD, and all the, and all the GPUs from like, you know, AMD and NVIDIA as well, we're now seeing that, the standard 
processors and standard graphics cards are, are actually outstripping their bespoke hardware counterparts. Uh, and so really it's kind of, you know, the whole thing has kind of moved over to a software stack rather than having to deal with kind of bespoke hardware. And that does really open up a lot of interesting opportunities from like a deployment and maintenance perspective uh, and everything else. So, I mean, you know, before we opened, before the pandemic, um, we, we, we saw some of this, but it's really, really taken off the, over the past two years. And so the quality bar, the, the efficiencies that we see, it, it's, it's really, really incredible. When you think about some of the challenges going on that are kind of front of mind today with supply chain issues. Um, does that affect jellyfish much at all? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's affecting us today. So say for example, I mean, if we want to order X amount of servers or storage or whatever, the lead times are through the roof. Um, and so we've had to use like a lot more public cloud-based resources simply because, you know, you can't get stuff like even getting a laptop, for some manufacturers, it's, it's crazy. We be, and we have also had orders canceled on us. So the ability to operate in, in a hybrid mode has been tremendously beneficial because you can help mitigate, you know, the supply chain issues or the not certain kit being available or that sort of stuff. So obviously we have our own data center, but we completely augment that with the public cloud. So, I mean, Jellyfish use a lot of Azure. We use both on a regular basis. When you talk about um, using the cloud and where you have data centers and where you don't. I'm not asking you to call it specifically where you set up, but are you working outside of London? Um, are you multinational? When we worked on a project several years ago, I think we had, I think we hired people from over 20 different countries, you, you know? So this was in the UK, there's the whole um, COVID thing. So there's a lot of Europeans who are, who worked in the UK and they wanted to go home to be with their, you know, with their families and, you know, which is totally understand understandable uh the other implication that we had was brexit so again that threw through kind of another spanner in the works as they as they say to try and get around that so no yeah so we we did we are international and i imagine that cloud technologies helps you fulfill that that you can potentially find a pop or a cloud region locally if you need to or supplement with data center it gives you some flexibility absolutely yes yeah definitely You've recently been deploying Hammerspace to kind of supplement the strategies and this trajectory you're on. What, what problem did Hammerspace solve that the other technologies we've already talked about didn't quite fill the gap on? First and foremost, we found like the engineering team at Hammerspace to be top notch. They really, really kind of engaged with us. They kind of like understood the exact problem that we were having and they really, really did roll up their sleeves and, and you know, and really get stuck in. Um, the data that that jellyfish use and many other you know people in this industry it would be classified as unstructured data, and it's very very hard for us to kind of keep the key dependencies between all of that un- unstructured data. Um, there are several what are called a- um, ASM systems or asset management systems out there, but you know it, it's it, some are more rigid than others. And <clears throat> Hammerspace it helps basically kind of abstract that. So say for example. The fact that it is a global file system more easily lets us kind of like prehydrate or move data from point A to point B, um, and then obviously users and users or other tasks in those other areas could also benefit from that. Uh, the other the other challenge that we had is not just users, but as you as I'm sure you've seen on the news, the cost of electricity and gas you know in the UK is actually skyrocketing. And so when, and as as I said before, th- this is an industry that requires a massive amounts of compute. And that takes a lot of electricity. That takes a lot of power. And so when taking a look at things like running costs, we also kind of want a way of working smarter 
and not harder. And so we're actually, if you kind of like take a look at different work, you know, different workflows and, or different costs of power and electricity cooling kind of around the globe, you, you know, you can actually kind of like do your main heavy lifting in other cheaper, more cost-effective areas rather than like paying a lot of money just to kind of keep keep the kit cool for the same amount of co- co- compute. So if you take a look at like your TCO over like say three or five year period, the cost of the hardware is actually only one component of actually the running costs basically while you while you actually use that. Uh, things like power and cooling, I think people are going to pay a lot more attention to that as the years go on. How does Hammerspace help you with that part of the problem, the moving content to different rendering farms? Hammerspace kind of helps by orchestrating the data from getting the data from A to B. Historically in this industry, you know, if you had like a solution that was not software defined, you would literally have to, you know, use a, a transfer mechanism to basically feed over that data from point A to point B. And then maybe even a human or some other, you know, intelligent way of actually kind of like, repathing all that data and kind of orchestrating that I, I, with with hammerspace that literally does go away and so the ability to help basically move the same data the same data structures from point a to point b does make things a lot easier for us and also the fact that um, the hammerspace obviously you can deploy it on a vm you can deploy it in the cloud you can deploy it in a data center you can deploy you know you can deploy it on prem so it doesn't really really matter it gives you like a lot of flexibility, a lot of granularity. If you look at some of the other, you know, the the more traditional storage appliances that have been, you know, that have been very, very dominant in this industry and many other industries, you don't have that level of flexibility. It's which limits to where you can deploy, which limits to basically what you can do. By having the data, you know, accessible in those different areas does does make things very interesting. So we kind of covered data moving around to many places, whether it's remote artists or different cloud regions for compute, whatever it might be. How do you handle security? Is that a top of mind concern for you? Believe me, there's a lot of audits in this industry just to kind of make sure that the IP is actually protected. What we've seen over the past, certainly over the past two years, is is a lot more audits kind of catering towards cloud-based workflows and cloud-based deployments. But essentially, you know, we've we've been through like a lot of different audits and, and we haven't had an issue. But obviously, like your your system architecture does need to be set up in the in the correct way. But we have we haven't had an issue with that when when using Hammerspace. Uh, what I was saying before is that one of the some of the pixel streaming services like Teradici, they offer uh actually a, a tremendous added value without even trying, because what happens is that, say, for example, I mean, if I log on to a virtual workstation, I'm streaming the pixels. I actually don't have that content. So say, for example, I mean, if you're taking a look at it like at an endpoint device, and if you secure that endpoint device properly, I mean, I mean they can't actually have access to that physical file, which, which is very, very impressive. I think that's part of what some people have a hard time getting their heads around of you're working with very large content, large files, large sets of data. And you aren't moving that data to every artist in, in your that's in their remote locations. But like you say, they're just working with the pixels and the data sits somewhere else. Can you maybe go a little more deeply into that? Because I think that's something that, you know, people think about David gravity or the laws of kind of the physics of data. And they think about how on earth could you move this much content around? When it comes to the endpoint device, I mean, we're, we're, we're simply streaming pixels. That's, that's exactly what we're, that's exactly what we're doing. And so, you know, from that, 
workstation, which is going to be a virtual machine. It could be running on the cloud or in data center or wherever. You know, the actual end user, that, that's, what they're, that's what they're connecting to. That's what they're doing. When it comes to basically kind of like um, what Hammerspace does and basically kind of the orchestrate data from A to B, that is a lot of data. But obviously what you can do, you, you can like target certain subset of, subsets of that data that's, that's to be used. So you don't have to basically kind of like take everything, but, but you can be very clever with the way that you kind of pre-station, pre-hydrate, you know, certain types of data. So, I mean, if we kind of like really... You know, and that's to, and you're in control of that. You're in control of that, and really, the, the limitation to, to like how much data you can move is how fast is your connectivity, what sort of like network topologies do you have, and so forth. So it's a different way of accessing data through metadata, through subsets of kind of objective-based data access, and it's just a different way of thinking about things than we historically did when you're sitting right next to your storage system and would work directly with the data. Yeah, that's correct. So so say for instance, you know, traditionally you'd have two separated filers. It could be from vendor A and the other one could be for vendor B, but they had nothing to do with each other. And you would simply copy or move or transfer data from point A to point B. But that that would be as as intelligent as it kind of gets. Now we're seeing that hey, the filer is actually one filer. And then it's, it's, it's no a matter diff- if it's sitting in the cloud or vendor exactly. or whatever it is. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. That's right. And so at that point, because it's, you know, that data is under, let's call it under data management, then basically have policies and drive it and get it to do A, B, or C, depending on what, depending on exactly on what your needs are. I think as we start to tie up this episode, a few things I want to ask you. Um, you, you have deployed a lot of interesting forward-looking technologies fairly early. Um, where do you do research? Where, if you're talking to, you know, peers of yours who are thinking, where do I, you know, maybe find technologies, where would you point them to? Probably looking at the requirements and just keeping abreast of changes in the technology space in general. So say, for example, I mean, if you take a look, um, everyone uses this example, but I'll use, I'll use it as well. Everyone takes a look at things like 5G. And it seems like where you know this is this is the this is the benefits that five G brings, um, and the and these are the best use cases to where it could be used. And then I suppose I start thinking and maybe speaking to a few other people. Hey, how can we how can we basically make how can we use five G to to better this industry or to better our workflow? So um, that sort of thing, like. I'll give you an example. You know, if if you're basically on a shooting for a Hollywood movie on set, you you know, you instead of basically kind of like shipping hard drives, uploading plates or rushes from that day, you could, you know, you could theoretically upload them over a 5G SIM. That means that it kind of gets to our digital artists faster and they can start taking a a look at the plates, you know, sooner than later, which helps speed up the creative process. And so I suppose it's just keeping abreast of different technology spaces, you know, working with like different cloud CSPs uh, and, and vendors, you know, and vendors like Hammerspace, um, just to see on what the implied changes would be. Do you find that the cloud vendors help introduce you to the correct technologies to consider? Are they kind of part of your brainstorming crew? Yeah. So, so say for example, I mean, it's we normally t- touch base with them to see what off, you know, what products they have they have coming to the table, what changes we are. But one of the things that's really, really powerful is the actual, the collaboration that, um, that we work with them. We find that a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, hardware and software vendors, they're very keen to work with us, you know, or very keen to work with them. And so that's something that, 
that's something that I think is is very, very good. So it's not just basically what's down the roadmap, but obviously, you know, we could say, hey, it'd be great if your product did X, Y, or Z. And then and then we show them why. And then more often than not, it ends up on a product roadmap. <laughs> right, right. It's definitely not just a one-way, here's what you can buy, take it or leave it kind of conversation. Exactly. And then, he, then, you know, we would kind of go through and measure up and say, hey, one plus one actually equals three in this scenario. And I think that's where that's where things can get exciting. Where do you see the industry going next? Is there any kind of clear next steps or are we already trying to sort out the what's next with the remote workforce and distributed environments that we're dealing with today? I think the implications could be quite large. And I think the, you know, this industry and many other, and many other industries are, are just trying to see what the, and I say, you know, in air cools, like what the new world kind of like looks like kind of going forward. So I think COVID has been a massive accelerant. And I think the and I really do think kind of like the face of how content is going to be made will certainly look different from the past five or 10 years. I think we're going to probably see more, um, more distributed like compute rather than everything like living in the, in the basement. Um, you probably see more adoption of cloud-based technologies, uh, you know, public cloud or private cloud or whatever that may look like kind of going forward. Uh, then after that, we'll, we'll see what happens, but that's, that's probably where, where like a lot of people are today, really. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining the show today. I know you have a busy schedule. You're dealing with perhaps a transportation issue with train strikes in London going on today. Um, so thank you for taking some time out of your day and joining us. No, it's my pleasure. It's been great. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Data Unchained, powered by Hammerspace. To learn more, visit hammerspace.com. If you have a guest you would like to hear on the show, email me at molly at hammerspace.com. Mm-hmm.